Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. This past week we've been having a heat wave so unfortunately it's been too hot for me to wear courses. So I've just been doing little things around the house and um, just stuff that we can do with the horses while it's hot out. So it's been a really slow week and obviously taking an entire week off work is not the best. So I'm trying to fill the void with some podcasts. Today's topic is going to be a bit of a doozy. It's going to be one that a lot of people might struggle with because it's going to be talking about punishment culture in the horse world and also how we're kind of like indoctrinated into this even outside of the horse world and how I kind of think that contributes to how willing I guess people are to use like pressure, force and punishment and corrections and discipline on their animals, namely horses, uh, and how quickly they are to opt to that over rewards. And I think it all comes down to like a very, a very obvious and concerted effort on the part of like how our society is run to make us think this way. Um, but I've also noticed it in how I was like taught and brought up as like a rider. So I wanted to talk about that and how I think it contributes to everything and how we can kind of start to undo that and start to reframe our thinking and really start to consider like why we like why we want to train horses a certain way and so this is going to kind of be less about the science side of things in a lot of ways and more about like the humanistic side of things so there's gonna when I'm talking about horses I'm going to try to reflect it back on us as humans and instances where we might be in a position to feel the same way that a lot of normalized training methods make our horses feel because I've found that drawing those analogies can help a lot of people really actually like help it land and help the information hit them better so that when they start to compare it to themselves and they can feel it a certain way and it speaks to them, they become more open to looking at the science side of things. So while I cannot speak for like exactly how horses feel at any given point because I'm not a horse, I can speak for how we know punishment and training or teaching and learning that provokes a fearful or anxious response, how that impacts the brain and how it can impact welfare and does impact welfare across species. Like the same or similar trends across species in relation to punishment and harsh training are seen. And while horses don't have the same cognitive capacity as humans and we feel things a lot more deeply and we can cause ourselves much more pain due to being able to think about the past and future at will, even though there's that we still you still see the same impacts when we're taught in punishing ways versus like with animals there's still like depression and like behavioral fallout and all that jazz so while humans feel things much more deeply animals are definitely capable of being impacted in same or similar ways as we are when they are trained in ways that aren't conducive to good welfare um so before we get into that, I just wanted to quickly plug my uh, products again and also some of my other pages just because, you know, small business also lost a whole week off work. So I don't know if you're feeling like treating yourself this week might be the week to do it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Do whatever you want. Um, but I have a bunch of new product releases. I've released some new uh, base layers and summer riding shirts that you can check out. And right now I'm having a promo where if you buy two, you get the third 30% off. If you buy three, you get the 
fourth 50% off. So it's a really good deal because the prices are already quite low. So if you want to get several or if you need to kind of replace a bunch of base layers, now is the time to do it. Um, the 30% off is automatically applied at checkout. And then if you want to get the 50% off, the code is BOGO, B-O-G-O. And you can do all that shopping on Amor, equestrian.ca, A-M-O-R-E, equestrian.ca on the milestone page. All of the page, all the things on the milestone page are my products. I've also released some limited quantities of the rose gold bridles that are available. They're just overages from our pre-orders. So there's some rose gold bitless bridles if you're looking for a really cute little bitless bridle with rose gold hardware and a rhinestone brow band, or you can get it with a regular brow band if that's your preference. Those are available on the website too. And I've also restocked the Harlow bridles, the, which are the anatomical bitted bridles, and also the same with the Milo. Um, so highly recommend checking that out. Also, all of our saddle pads are on sale. I'm really just trying to move products because so much of my income is in um, the products right now. So if you want me to get paid this week, you could help facilitate that by treating yourself to a nice shirt. I, I personally really like the ro new rose gold base layer releases I've done and the blush lace base layer, which is like big coming from me because I am really not a pink person, but I like that base layer. I, I really do actually like it. Um, so yeah, you can check all that out on the website. Uh, it's been so much fun developing that brand and like coming up with the products, but holy moly, is it ever work? Like, I think that I mentioned this briefly in the last podcast, but the amount of like money that you have to put into like ordering large quantities is insane. But that aside, shipping costs, man, because of rising gas prices and everything, like holy crap, you would not believe the numbers on shipping bills. So yeah, again, that is also why most like why it's so expensive to try to start up a business uh, if you can't take out massive loans because you're paying like $3,000 for shipping stuff. And like, I'm not even kidding. Like, that's not even an exaggeration. I'm dead serious. Unfortunately, I really wish that was a joke. I wish that was one of my exaggerations. But no, this is the climate we're talking about. So when you see small businesses raising prices, I just want to point out yeah like consider shipping costs and just the rising costs of everything because like I think people really really underestimate like how expensive it is to ship large quantities of products in um, and generally speaking a lot of that happens by air because you can't really do like leather goods and products by freight because they can get like damp and wet and then arrive damaged and it also takes way way longer uh, so anyways yeah expensive um, also, I have my Patreon, so if you're interested in any tutorials and stuff like that where you can like learn things and learn how to start positive reinforcement, ask training questions, access to behind-the-scenes stuff with product development and so on and so forth, you can check all that out on my Patreon. It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash s-d-e-q-u-u-s, s-d-equus, uh, and I have a bunch of tutorials on there now, and there's going to be lots coming. Right now, I can't film anything really with the horses because it's just too hot, So there, but there's tons that's on there from before and recent stuff and also articles and we do live Q and A's. There's going to be another one happening soon. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. So yeah, check that out. And yeah, anyways, we'll just jump right into this, uh, because I want to, um, I think that like, I spoken about how like we're brought up in like the culture of the horse world in specific to like punish our horses and more freely escalate pressure and be more comfortable doing that than we are rewarding or erring on the side of kindness because being like tough and putting your horse in its place and like teaching your horse manners 
a lot of the horse world is taught to do that by like corrections and punishment and not letting your horse get away with things and just the idea that like when your horse does something bad that they're openly trying to disrespect you so there's a lot of like pride in being like tough and like assertive to your horse and showing your horse who's boss because you're encouraged from a young age or from a young age in terms of like your age as an equestrian um if you started as an adult uh from a young age, you're encouraged just to be that way. A lot of your value is placed in that because if you're not assertive with your horse and you don't put your horse in your place, then you're often corrected or criticized by your trainer and then encouraged to put them in their place. And when you do things like whipping your horse or getting after your horse and shanking them or smacking them for biting you, then you're cheered on and encouraged and given a lot of positive feedback from your trainers. And it reinforces that behavior. And especially when you start young, where you don't have the same critical thinking that a more developed brain does, it really ingrains that into you because there's so many things, like even outside of horses, so many things that happen as children and they're things that like seemingly as adults, you should just go, oh yeah, that's so silly, I'm over it. But it impacts how you behave for so many years and in so many different ways and in different aspects of life that you don't even notice how weird and silly it is. And so, like, an adult that might be able to rationalize, yes, like, getting mad at an animal for little things that are not un are not related to me and an animal that does not have the cognitive capabilities to do things maliciously might not be the most productive thing. But when you're encouraged to do that as a child and really dissuaded from doing reward and, like, feeding treats and stuff, it seems like a no-brainer to select the punishment or adding extra pressure over the reward. And it's really easy to scoff at the idea of a reward because you're taught that, like, rewards aren't deserved. And... This is also so, like, we're going to get into the whole, like, capitalism thing and just, like, the, how I think the world works. So this really is going to be a doozy because a lot of my training views I've realized are in line with, like, how I, like, how people are treated and, like, I don't know. I see a lot of parallels in how we treat and care for animals versus, like, what happens to us as humans in this current society and climate. Anyways you're 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 taught to defer to the pressure and punishment more freely and you're taught that the idea of like rewarding your horse or giving it treats is the stupidest thing ever because it'll teach your horse to be dangerous and that like they don't learn that way and that they like being trained with pressure and all these things to just support thinking a certain way and it's really ingrained into you because again like it's even situational where if you do certain things that are in line with them trying to teach you to correct more things you're complimented more heavily you're encouraged but then when you're not wanting to or you resist doing things like whipping your horse you're oftentimes ridiculed or made to feel bad by trainers or told that the horse is going to get bad habits so you're blamed for the horse's future behavior then if you don't do it so you're essentially pressured using negative reinforcement that can sometimes escalate to the point of being extremely punishing to do something that you initially might not want to do. And then when you finally do it, the pressure is relieved and you get a lot of verbal praise, which for us, since we can actually understand what is being said, we don't necessarily need a reward on top of that because the praise and approval of our coach is appetitive enough to us that we don't need another reward. Being told that was awesome, you're amazing, from someone we idolize is enough. And that's how you learn to just not even question it. 
And this is the problem in our culture. And this is also something I want people to consider is even when you're really frustrated with how people have treated their horses and you think that their training practices suck and that they're just full of shit or whatever, if they make the move to soften their practices at all, you need to give them the benefit of the doubt because these behaviors that are so normalized and so ingrained aren't necessarily an indicator of how someone actually is and like their quality as a person because it is just so entrenched in our community that it's really hard for people to escape that mindset so you can't treat them like uh, treat them as if they're amoral when they don't they, they were taught that good morals are something completely different than what they are in actuality in terms of treatment of horses so it's so ingrained that a lot of people can do terrible things that are not okay and you don't have to condone what they do in those moments to their horses but I think it's important to allow for the space for people to grow and change because of how normalized this is in the community it doesn't really allow people the chance to rise above that so you should always allow for the room for growth you don't have to accept what someone does in the moment but you shouldn't hold grudges to the point where you just assume that they're never going to be a good horse person or when they do start to change things and do them better that you can't see the good in that and sometimes it's hard to if people do things really bad and it's fine to be skeptical but we need to allow the room for growth because it's like you are you are lucky and you're one of the minority if you grew up in a barn that did not teach you to think this way because that is how normal it is. It is the majority of people in the horse world. Um, and like I said, negative reinforcement and punishment is used on us even in our lessons, but we're going to go deeper than that because you're primed and conditioned for this even before you get into horses by how a lot of the school, like how, how the school systems are run, um, by how like the entire industry of like capitalism is run, which again in, influences the schools. Um, for example, when you go into school, you're taught that like your ability to produce work and the quality of your work is what actually gives you value. So when you cannot do that or you get a bad mark, it impacts how you feel about yourself rather than you just looking at the work and being like, okay, I need to try to get stronger in these things for this reason. You're taught that the reason you're going to school is so that you can get a good job and get paid well and be able to take care of yourself. So it's less about like becoming more worldly, becoming more empathetic, becoming more considerate, learning more about different types of people, how to be an effective communicator, learning more about mental health, how to love yourself, how to be emotionally intelligent and things that are actually about how to like exist as a healthy human being. You're not really taught any of those things. And like, especially when I was growing up and especially for people before that, the school system has adapted quite a lot since I was even in like elementary school and high school and at least in Canada here like the curriculum has changed but it still exists in this relative structure where the motivation is really to just prime you to be able to produce work and join the workforce later in life and you see like general ideas of this being drilled into you from a young age like for example attendance Attendance was valued as very, very important. It didn't really matter if you were there and doing all the work and doing it well. If you were late or were not around, you were still made to feel like it impacted, again, your value as a human being and that it was a bad thing. When I was in elementary school, I had numerous teachers um, that would just 
constantly comment on my lateness and like all the time and like my grade seven teacher in particular would bring it up all the time and would be like oh you're late again Shelby like oh always late oh here's Shelby again like good luck getting a job in the real world Shelby one day and then in my grade seven grad like before I went off to grade eight in high school her literal only comment for me like we all went up and we got our little diplomas and it was like this ceremony in front of the whole school and her parents went her thing to me was just like, oh, good luck in high school. I hope you're not late to class in high school, Shelby. And yeah, so made to feel like shit and embarrassed in front of the entire class and the in front of the entire school and all the parents over my attendance, even though I did get there and I did do all the work and I was a pretty good student, even though I was disorganized because ADHD. Um, but I did the work. I never really struggled to pass my classes or do the work that was offered. I was always doing it. Um, and yeah, I was late, but that was the only comment she had to say about me. There's nothing else about any of my good qualities, my creativity, my writing, my stories, my passion, nothing. Just it, I was reduced to the time that I showed up at. And the even worse thing about this that is so much more insidious is that during these times, like especially in elementary school, you can't drive. Your ability to get to school is entirely dependent on either the transit system, your ability to walk there, or your parents' ability to drive you there. So you're largely not in control of that because your proximity to the school and proximity to transit and ability to use that is also dependent on the resources of your parents, where you live, and their ability to help you and teach you how to do all that. Uh, so you don't have, like, you're a child. You don't have control over that. So the attendance thing at this age is so much more fucked up because you're not the one that is like they treat you like you're just choosing to be inconsiderate and not show up on time when it's re related to a much bigger picture than that. Um, and I say this because like I was late a lot, but like during that time in elementary school, while me and my siblings were late to school, it was because my dad had had a stroke and was disabled and unable to do stuff for himself. So my mom was working full time as a teacher, getting us all ready for school, helping him out and then getting us to school. And yeah, we were late often, but like, let's see any one of those teachers who criticize my attendance fucking do that, honestly. And this is what I'm saying about, like, the school system, because even those teachers, they weren't deliberately trying to be inconsiderate in a lot of cases. Like, some were, some weren't. I don't think that my grade 7 teacher, Mrs. Whiteside, was actually trying to make me feel as shitty as she did or trying to judge me for things that were beyond my control or any of that. I don't think she was trying to make me feel bad on purpose because I don't think it was, like, a malicious thing it was what she was primed and indoctrinated into doing and trained to do and she doesn't have the um like I guess the the insight to really understand like what people might be going through and the reasons why someone could be late but that's the thing is like if we're going to school and if we're learning these things on how to become better humans and how to exist in society Things like empathy and like understanding for other people should be being taught in school and they're not being taught because it serves to provide an advantage to corporations because if everyone was being raised to be super empathetic and feel bad for people who couldn't afford food or were struggling, 
then they wouldn't be able to take advantage of the system in the way that they are because people would be like, this is so not okay. There's way too many people who can't even afford to live and who are like dying on the streets or not having access to basic human needs. This is an unjust society. So they don't want us to all have empathy because enough people need to be able to shrug it off to continue upholding the this, this system structure. Um, and again, like this is, I know these are weird parallels to draw, but this is gen, like this is the way I think. In the horse world, you see the same thing. There's enough people that are willing to uphold a certain structure and that have been raised to not have empathy for horses to the degree that they should based off of the cognitive capabilities of horses and what we actually know. There's enough people that have not been raised to do the right thing and do not have empathy and genuinely do not know how to work their brains yet to possibly comprehend and understand the actual facts because... I was at that stage where I was trying to learn and there was just things that I could not wrap my head around pertaining to equine behavior and positive reinforcement. Like it just didn't land. And I would try to understand it and I would try to see other perspectives. And I thought I was doing what what was seeing other perspectives and being open-minded and considering. But I literally could not comprehend the full scope of things because I hadn't learned key vital things that I needed to understand in order to understand the bigger picture. Like key vital facts that you need to understand to just get it. And like, I know that's super vague. I, I'll equate it to when you're young and you're growing up and you're naive and the world seems to hold like this magic and you don't understand how it all works. And then as you get older, the veil slowly gets lifted and you get you learn all of these little things that gradually aid you into forming the bigger picture um, and actually start to understand like the degree of what's going on and the degree of difficulty and how much you didn't know. Uh, and I can't really, like, I can't remember specific things that actually led to me getting that understanding, but it was like little things that I learned and even things that I saw with horses when I started trying certain new things in training and saw how well it worked and then stopped having as many issues with horses. And it was just way easier and way less work and getting like the feelings associated with that and actually having that emotional change that also really assisted in changing how I saw things. And then also dealing with like how I felt and like dealing with my like ADHD and like the struggles that came along with that and becoming more understanding of like what was going on with that and like why I think a certain way or like why I had the struggles I did and going to counseling and therapy and kind of just becoming better at dealing with those things. It's reframed how I think, and it's also made me more able to think things more clearly um, and be, I guess, more able to kind of look at myself and, yeah, be objective about things and honest and think about things through a new lens. So it's kind of a full-scale thing, and there's so many things that can contribute to it because even, like, your emotions on a particular day can change how you respond to things, and you can end up doing things in training that you know are stupid and that you know you should have ended the session sooner or that you shouldn't have gotten as frustrated but the reason why it ended up that way is because a bunch of other triggers throughout that day stacked and this isn't me justifying people being really rough on their horses after they've had a bad day it's just me recognizing the fact that those things are contributing factors um and I think in order to honestly talk about the punishment culture and like how we are indoctrinated, we need to be honest about how we have lost our plot and become frustrated and taken it out on horses. Because when you're doing those things at the time, you don't 
generally realize that you're taking out your anger on your horse. You think you're doing something in training for a purpose. Uh, And because of how we're taught to handle and train horses and how we see a lot of people losing their patience with horses and have that be normalized, it doesn't even feel like a bad thing when you've grown up in that environment. Um, But definitely, like, I I think most people would be kidding themselves if they actually said they've never lost their patience on a horse and that frustration or their own anger or them having a bad day has never contributed to how they've ridden or handled their horse on any particular day. Especially if you've grown up in a, in a traditional training environment where you've been taught to use whips and spurs and been taught to punish behaviors because you're encouraged to do that. And That's the thing about punishment is it's reinforcing to the person who's punishing. Um, And if you're frustrated, you can take out that frustration physically on another creature that cannot speak up and that you cannot be held accountable for treating a certain way unless you take it to such an insanely abusive degree. Um, It gives you a really, really easy means of taking out your frustration on an innocent being and just reinforcing that that's a coping mechanism you can use when you start to get upset. So yeah, like I've definitely taken frustration out on horses and it's taken a lot of like learning and like self-reflection and actually holding myself accountable and being aware of what I was doing to actually undo all of that and start catching myself before it happens and then rectifying that emotional response. Like you have to be honest enough to realize that and honestly even now there's times where if I'm having a bad day I can be shorter with my horses where like I don't like hit them and get mad at them but I'll be less patient about things or I'll have unfair expectations for the day and I will maybe push the session for a little longer than it should have and like again I think people who say they don't do that aren't being honest with your with themselves because like you you're not perfect like even the best trainers in the world can't always cut their sessions off at a point where it's going to be the perfect result and that they never ever have mistakes because also different horses you you don't always know what's going on with the horse or how they'll react to things too and like pushing a session a little too long doesn't have to look like an extreme blow up it can just look like the horse losing interest and getting frustrated and then having it end on a less positive note than it could have uh um and that's the thing about training is you learn from each session that you have. It's not always going to go the same way, even with the same horse. There could be things that happen that create new factors in training or even like new fear unlocked with horses, for example, um, where something that didn't bother them before can bother them or something new can arise that adds new issues in your training and handling of them and creates new fears that you now have to consider in your next sessions like we don't have full control over the environment and we also don't know what triggers might have stacked for the horses we work with before we got there to witness what is happening with them so you don't always know where you're starting out in training and sometimes if you're preoccupied with other things or if you're frustrated you might be less inclined to notice the signals that you could notice to help avoid and diffuse things before they become less positive um so yeah like undoing that punishment culture starts with actually holding yourself accountable with what you're doing and when you're losing patience or getting frustrated uh because a lot of times when you do find yourself taking out your frustration on people or animals you will try to find ways to justify it and be like oh no like he's being like for horses for example no he was being bad like i can't let him get away with that uh, like be like 
and then, yeah, basically that that's pretty much the gist of what people will always use and say that they need, they basically needed to do that to teach them not to have a bad habit. But then in actuality, the bad habits or similar ones continually arise and they're never actually addressed. It's just perpetual frustration on the part of the person and the horse. Um, so it start like undoing like punishment culture and like your response to things and actually like having you become a more effective trainer is about taking like that pause and also even after the fact reflecting and really trying to acknowledge what you're actually doing and what the actual motivation behind your behavior is the your motivation behind like if you choose to go backing your horse across the arena while you try whack the rope at it ask yourself what is the actual motivation for that response? Because even if you believe that punishment, like positive punishment can be used correctly in certain situations, scientifically and equine behaviorally, there's never a reason to escalate punishment to the degree where you're like literally backing a horse down the entire long side, yelling at them. And like the punishment is taking longer than the behavior you didn't like. Like the punishment is more of a production than the behavior that you're punishing. It's not some quick correction. It's like this entire production where you're just like showboating how much, how poor, how badly you are controlling your emotions and your frustration. Um, and again, like I think punishment is vastly overused in the horse world. I would not go as far to say that it should never, like, again, when I say punishment right now, I'm talking positive punishment because negative punishment is on a different spectrum than the type of punishment we're talking about. Um, cause negative punishment is more in line with like the positive reinforcement realm since by default it's the removal of something the learner wants and it can definitely be abusive and it can cause a lot of maladaptive behaviors. But positive punishment is the one that's categorized with being much more in line with that. So that's what we're talking about when I say punishment. Um, okay, I lost my train of thought from doing that, though. Whoopsie-poo. Uh, so anyways, pun like so you, you need to understand what you're actually doing. Because if your punishment is longer than the behavior you're punishing, it's completely unnecessary. And it's not fulfilling its purpose of quickly correcting an unwanted behavior and being directly linked to that behavior. You're adding in a whole bunch of new behaviors and just like... By the time you've stopped punishing the horse and getting mad at them, the horse doesn't even know what they even did wrong. Uh, similarly, like for, for example, when riders like fall off their horses and then they get up and they start like shanking on their horse or they, well, their horse runs away and then they catch it and get mad at it. In moments like that, those riders should be stopping and going, why am I actually doing this? Because it's not helping the situation. It's just creating a new problem because if you catch your horse after you fall and you get mad at them what you're actually teaching them is okay if your rider falls off definitely do not let them catch you next time because they will get mad at you and you're already scared presumably if the rider has fallen off and something has gotten wrong gone wrong so it, yeah it's just reinforcing the idea of this is scary stay away from that person because even when you are scared and they should be comforting you, they're going to get mad at you. Um, and that's how you kind of can like decide, I guess, like, and this is how you can also start to like 
hold yourself more accountable and also like be more comfortable in yourself as like a rider and handler is if you hold yourself accountable and you're honest with like why you're doing certain things um, and when it's you being emotional and when it's actually something that serves a purpose in training because like yelling at a horse and yeah screaming at them like calling them obscenities and throwing stuff at them or like whipping them with like a rope and just making a huge scene is never for the purpose of training like that that is a a tantrum that is always going to be a tantrum um even if you want to say that you like like using positive punishment for horses who bite and stuff like at if you're going to do it it needs to be quick and directed at the behavior that never includes the person throwing a tantrum and having the punishment itself be so far beyond what the behavior that motivated the punishment was um most punishments you see with horse people are actually just a horse person throwing a temper tantrum and using the horse as like a really convenient um like target for that frustration because the horse can't really complain they're one of the few animals that it's super acceptable to like be super abusive to them and you're in a culture where all of this is normalized and encouraged so like it's hard to not do it because it's so like you're basically led to being encouraged to do this like I would argue in terms of like emotional strength and just like having the guts to do it it's harder to go the scientific route and start using rewards-based training with how the horse world is because there's way more people that are going to ridicule you it's way harder to find support it's harder to pick that side of things than it is to go the route of like being punishing because you're so encouraged in doing that that like it's easy to go into that dissonance because so many people are in it and they encourage you to deny everything and they give you so many reasons to not consider other means of training um, and to not even look at the information out there. So it's easier to do that because you're going to be more supported. You're going to be less ridiculed, but it's teaching you a lot of bad coping habits that will bleed into your personal life and cause you issues with that too. Because uh, honestly, like, I think a lot of my frustration and, like, lack of ability to handle in my emotions started out in this because I was around adults who were constantly frustrated with horses and shouting at them and getting so mad at them and making it out to be, like, cool to put them in their place and, like, necessary and also teaching me that it had no impact on how your horse thought of you or anything, um, So it taught me so many bad habits and it set me up for such poor success and it also rendered me entirely unable to actually look at situations and go, okay, like what's causing this and how can I actually address this? Like it didn't provide me with any skill set to really deal with things. And um, I see this a lot in riders that are like taught in traditional programs and I see it, like I saw it in myself, like you're not very self-sufficient. Like when something goes wrong in training, you look at like, what new bit can I get? What new gadget? Oh, can I get a new half pad or therapy pad that'll help this? Or maybe these like a massage. And you're looking at all these things to solve a behavioral problem rather than like actually trying to like find the real cause. Like it's always about looking for some quick fix or like quicker fix. So like massage instead of like a full vet workup. Um, a therapy pad, ice boots, a bigger bit, a different training gadget that says to help them build muscle, a calming supplement. And again, like not all these things are inherently bad in themselves, but like the intent behind it is 
just to keep finding quick fixes and it's you you don't actually know where to look because you're not taught what causes behaviors and you're not taught to try to find the underlying cause of a behavior rather than just focusing on trying to stop the behavior itself um and a lot of people get frustrated and confused or they have to cycle through a lot of horses before they finally find one that can handle their training situation and actually have some level of success uh, and then the amount of wastage we see in training programs and also the general amount of problems people will experience their horses speak for like how ineffective this actually is as a method. Um, because there's like, I don't know, like every single barn <laughs> that I've gone to that has horses where they do stuff where they're just seeking to suppress the behavior or like punish it away. The behaviors themselves never actually stop. Like, the horse always has issues that the person has just decided that they put up, they'll put up with in training. Um, and the issues themselves are usually, like, pretty annoying. So it'll be like, oh, yeah, like, he can't be ridden. You can't jump him without the super harsh bit or he runs off. Or, like, oh, yeah, like, if you hold him back too much, he, like, rears. And there's all these little things that they don't see as issues because it's so normalized to do, especially if you're like, oh, my horse is a jumper. He's just hot. Um, or like, oh, I need to school him and draw reins at home all the time because it's what my trainer says to do. And they've just decided to accept these things, but they're actually indicators that like the problems that they've been having aren't really dealt with because they're still having to try to consistently cover them up. Uh, and they don't really see it as that, but then it's frustrating because they're constantly never, like, advancing to the degree that they wanted to, and this is what I found with, like, my horses is, like, I was trying to get, like, the next best supplement, the next best feed program, the next best, like, saddle, saddle pad, um, like, training aid or whatever to get them to have this beautiful muscle and to carry themselves in a certain way, and I was really, like, my intentions were good because I wanted these things, but I wanted them, like, immediately. I wanted them easily, and I didn't want to consider that there is a way that strayed too far from the path I'd been led along for so long that would work better, uh, so when I was offered other solutions that didn't sound like they'd be as quick, even if they'd be more effective and technically quicker in terms of the results lasting and, um, how, like, and how effective it is. I didn't want to try it because I'd been taught to just kind of shrug that off and that there is no other way of doing these things. And that's very much the MO for the horse world is that, like, trainers want their students to be very dependent on them. Like, most boarding barns control your horse's whole feed program and, like, some trainers even have, like, the, they, they require all their clients to have, like, the same farrier and, like, vet and stuff. And the trainer will be so involved in, like, client horses to the point where the trainer gets the final say on what vet procedure the horse gets. Like, it's very much about teaching people how to not be self-sufficient and teaching them to be utterly reliant on the opinions of someone else to find their own opinions. Um, and to not be reliant on what is actual credible information and to never argue with your trainers because they're always right and they always know best and that if you haven't competed at the same level as someone you can't say anything about their training because you don't know what it takes and it's just so stupid because it's also like when we're talking ethicality it doesn't matter what level you've competed at you don't need to ride at a meter 60 before you can decide something's ethical uh, and people will claim that you do um even though the same people won't be like, oh, like, I need to go kick a puppy before I decide whether or not that's abusive, or I need to go be a billionaire before I decide whether or not it's unjust for millions of people to be starving to death while someone has, like, 
hundreds of thousands of properties around the world and can buy entire countries. I don't know. It's, you don't need, like, when we're discussing ethics, you don't need to compete at the same level because you're simply discussing what is and what isn't fair to the horse based off of research we have on the horse. And realistically, like, anyone in the riding sector that is making money and profiting off of showing at high levels uh, and using equipment that is frowned upon in research with horse training they have motivation to deny all those things and teach their students to do the same because if they taught their students how to think critically and actually access this information and see it for what it was, they would have to completely uproot their methods or lose all of their clients. So believe me when I say your trainers, if they're teaching you things that directly conflict with stuff that we know to be factual, like for example, horses suffer if they're stalled for way too long. Um, if they're teaching you not to believe that, it doesn't matter if they've freaking gone to the Olympics and won gold 500 times. They're still wrong and they have every reason to try to lead you to their bias. They have every reason to lie to you because it benefits them financially and it also benefits them and their ego and everything they know by allowing them to uphold training methods or management practices that are inherently wrong and that they know are wrong if they're trying to sway you away from that and heavily criticize methods with no real, like, no real info on their side, you know? The motivation is for themselves and it's really self-serving and it's, it makes sense why people do it. And again, like, I'm not saying that these people are doing this knowingly. They don't always realize what they're doing, but the benefit is for them and their business. Whereas like in scientific research, there is a need to eliminate bias. So even though, of course, like everyone would have their personal biases, there's special steps that are taken to eliminate that as much as possible. And there's also, like, peer reviews to ensure that before a study can get published, like, numerous people have read on it and accepted the information for what it is. Whereas trainers don't have any of that. They don't have the same level of accountability or anything. Like, upper-level riders are seldom held accountable. They can publicly abuse horses and have, like, bloody mouths and still be welcomed back in the show ring. If you actually look at the actual proof around us, there is no evidence that ethics are of the concern at the upper levels or that there is actual any any real incentive to consider ethics because people aren't being punished when they do things that are unethical it's being excused so using how high someone competes or like how how many accolades they have as a trainer to justify ethics does not hold up because there's no evidence that welfare is better at the upper levels or that welfare increases with someone's years of experience as a trainer or a number of ribbons that they've won. Um, and again, we see the same type of mindset applied in like the real world outside of the horse world when it comes to like capitalism and jobs. Like, for example, no one wants to work now is blaming the working population for not wanting to accept wages that are not livable wages as prices skyrocket. It's used to deflect blame from where it is actually supposed to lie. It deflects it away from where all the facts lie because they don't want attention on that because they don't want people to see the truth. Um, and it's like the same type of attitude that you see with like homelessness where people are like, oh, just get a job. But then they don't, they don't recognize all of the factors that are leading people to become homeless and all of the factors that lead to, to trying to keep them there. And the same applies for people who might have homes but are extremely low income. 
trying to shrug that off as like, oh, they don't work hard enough. If they just worked harder, they'd have more money. Ignores all of the facts surrounding how hard it actually is to create money from where there is none. There's a reason why generational wealth is a thing, and people with generational wealth typically are the ones trying to distract from why it exists and how much of a leg up it gives you in society, because they don't want everyone else to realize how unjust the world is. Um, and it's all deflection for the purpose of like upholding a selfish structure that benefits them immediately. It's not over what is factual because honestly, like the fact of the matter is like a lot of the people who get paid the least deserve the most amount of money because they're people that we would absolutely miss if they just said, screw you, we're not working anymore. Um, for example, like paramedics get paid like shit for the amount of work that they have to do, the trauma that they have to see. Um, like even jobs that people just take for granted, like, like entry level jobs, like cashiers and people working drive-throughs and people who clean public bathrooms and do janitorial services. People at these types of jobs are typically given so little respect in society and they're even looked down upon for taking on these jobs. But if they were to stop working them, the world would stop turning as we know it and people would be very upset because they would recognize that they, well, actually they wouldn't necessarily recognize this, but they would be upset that a service that they had taken for granted is no longer being provided. But then the same people will think that these people don't deserve money for their jobs when they themselves would not want to work these jobs. Like a lot of the people who get paid the least amount of money are actually doing the most amount of work and offering the most benefit to society, but they're getting paid the least for it. Um, and then when we've created a society where people view like, the amount of value you provide and the amount of money and your your productivity and ability to bring in income that is created my dog is whining i have to go let her out of the room but that if your value is placed in the amount of money you are able to generate then people view oh like your work like the more the more money you have the harder you work despite there being no evidence of that because if you look at the number of hours people who are making minimum wage are having to work to feed their families versus a CEO at a billion dollar corporation it is pretty clear who is working harder but the revenue is not there the like they're not making the same amount of income but again, we're raised from a young age to be taught that you go to school to get a good job so you can make a lot of money and that if you make a lot of money, you'll be able to do things that you want and you'll have more access to things in the world. So people grow up being taught that their value is placed in how much money they can bring in. And then when people grow up with generational wealth and money comes easily to them, they uphold those values because those values directly benefit them and they reinforce the ways they've been taught to feel about themselves and things that they've been taught from a young age. So they think that they work hard and they view it as an insult to try to say that like hard work isn't directly correlated with the amount of money that you make because they've been taught that and they've been taught that everyone who has lots of money has simply just worked harder for that because it's just that easy and that fails to recognize how much of an advantage some people have from birth um and the only way that it would be fair to be like oh the amount of work you put in is like the is reflected in income is if there was a fair chance for everyone in this world to amass that level of income and there isn't there's 
intentional obstacles placed in people's ways to try to prevent them from doing that and there's intentional advantages placed uh for people who are of certain income brackets so that they can continue to grow so once you have money it becomes a lot easier to grow it exorbitantly but it is very hard to save and grow money when you're making a minimum wage income and this isn't something that's being taught to people because again it serves the advantage of upholding the structure of our society and the people who have the most money to put out like what we watch on tv what we listen to on the radio ads you see what we're taught all of the people who have the most control over that are typically the people with the most money to do so. If you can create a billion dollar social media website, for example, and control what people see on it and also use all of their data to control what ads they see and whatnot, it's very easy to start to kind of color the way they see things and make, th make things seem a certain way and also deflect from ideas that might impact the way you do things as a corporation. Um, and yeah, so <laughs> basically this parallels to what we do in the horse world because what you'll see when people don't like scientific studies being shared or certain opinions being shared in the horse world, they'll either attack like the person putting out the information, uh, even if they're just sharing a study. So for example, if I shared a study on stalling and then someone's like, oh, well, your horses live in the mud and they don't even have a nice warm stall to go into. And it's like, okay, like, even if my horses lived in a swamp and were turning into gremlins, that wouldn't mean that your horse is being well cared for if it's stalled 24-7, you know? It's, it's, def it's classic deflection. That's almost always like any response you see from this type of person it doesn't matter how they try to do it it's almost always deflection um they'll use also like personal attacks or insulting your intelligence like i've been called like a an armchair trainer so many times or like a clicker karen or um like a like a just I, I someone people have made fun of me for calling me like a book like book smart equestrian or saying that like that I forget there was a really funny one that someone said um that yeah like that I don't know I can't remember it now but just all these things where it's to seek to try to like insult intelligence insult worth and oh people have insult how much money I make be like oh well like who are you to speak on on whether or not this training method is abusive or not if you're not as rich as Clinton Anderson is or I don't see you making as much money as he is or like let's see you pr produce a million dollar cult and it's like okay like so again we're relating value back to money and we're relating the value of welfare back to money the amount of money that you can generate again in any aspect of the world not just the horse industry the amount of money that you make is definitely not correlated with ethics i would actually argue that there's probably a negative correlation if you averaged it out i bet the more money the less ethics people would have um and this is not like if you're if you and your family have grown up with money this is not necessarily saying you i'm talking about like the one percent you cannot have ethics and just hoard all of the wealth in the world while people are dying. 
So money and ethics never go hand in hand, but they'll use stuff like that to try to deflect from the actual point. Seldom do I ever get someone actually coming at me with an intelligent argument where they're like, I don't agree with what you've said about stalling practices, or I don't agree with what you've said about harsh bits, and then provide me with like an actual, even if it's the information itself is untrue, providing me with an actual argument. Usually it's just personal attacks and deflection and they never have an argument on their side. And then if you respond back and we're like, okay, like here's some more stuff to back my point, they'll just be like, oh, like you're just freaking out now. Like, oh, like, bleh. it's just like, whoa, dude, like you're, you've made no sense this whole time. It's the weirdest thing. And you see this, like the same attitude, whether you're on like a horse page or like a political page about whether or not homeless people deserve to live. You see the same attitude from the people who just simply don't want to accept the fact that they're being assholes and that, like, if they want to hold the views they have, they need to accept the fact that it comes at the expense of the welfare of another human being or animal. Um, and, yeah, it's it's the weirdest thing. Because, for example, um, recently, like, the other day, actually, I think it was on, like, Tuesday or something. It was before it got super, no, maybe Monday. I don't remember. It was before it got super, super hot because I was planning to get up to go ride. Um, we got an emergency alert that there is multiple shootings in the Langley area, which is around where I live, but I'm not in the city, so it was in the city. Um, and obviously in Canada, that's like super, super unusual. Um, so it was scary, but we later found out that basically what had happened is there's someone who's driving around that was just shooting homeless people who were sleeping on the street. Um, and like they killed, I think at least one person. I have to go look at the new news articles and they were driving around in the early hours of the morning when these poor people were sleeping and just like murdering them. Um, and luckily I think they did capture the person. But, like, this, that type of attitude that leads to that level of, like, cruelty and brutality and just, like, complete lack of care for human life, that type of attitude is created by, like, anger and resentment towards, like, homelessness, which is created by rich people blaming homeless people for their situation and painting the picture as them all just being, like, drug addicts or lazy. And honestly, like, even if they are, we're all just drug addicts, that doesn't mean they don't, don't deserve home and help, homes and help and, like, food and water and all basic needs that every human being is deserving of. Being addicted to something doesn't mean that you're not allowed basic comforts at all. Like, I, like, it's, it's stupid that they try to degrade certain, like, ba and also basically being a drug addict is only viewed as a bad thing if you're poor, because there's a whole ton of rich people that can just shovel themselves full of drugs, and that's perfectly acceptable, and it's not viewed as, like, a bad thing or an indicator that someone's, like, a crazy person or going to rob you or just, like, shouldn't be considered a human being if you have enough money. So basically anything, for example, like anything illegal or that is typically viewed as gross by rich people and billion dollar corporations is okay if you have enough money. Um, anyways, 
Yeah, so this attitude where someone has been led to, like, kill people, you see created in society, and I'm not excusing what the person did, because obviously that's very fucked up, and not everyone who has really conservative, bigoted, ignorant views is a murderer, but you create this type of attitude in society by labeling homeless people as all being one thing, like, all being, like, thieves, people who are just, like, looking for drugs, like, oh, if you give them money, they're just gonna spend it on drugs, which is also none of your fucking business, just give them money. You don't get to police how someone spends their money, especially if you're tr- saying that you give money out of the goodness of your heart, you know? Anyways, they'll they'll make up all these things and just make it out to be like, oh, like people are in these situations because they're just lazy or like they made the decision to just give their life to drugs. This is their fault. Like blame them. And then they get angry at those people for existing in public spaces when they literally have nowhere else to go. And they start to dehumanize them and they won't even like look at them people or they'll look at them with like disgust, contempt, or they'll do things like like being mean to them, like stealing their stuff, breaking their stuff, just doing all in all cruel, unkind things that they wouldn't do to other people that they view as having more value in society, but view as acceptable to do to homeless people because they've been led to believe that people like that are lesser human beings. And then you see it escalate to the point where people are actually going out of their way to cause physical harm or kill these people. Um, And like, they view it as not a problem. Like, someone driving around at that time, like, obviously they probably know murder is illegal, but they're justifying the acts that they're doing based off of who they're directing those acts at, most likely, and viewing it as okay because they've dehumanized people to that extent, and they've largely been allowed to in society because homeless people are a convenient group of people to blame for everything because they don't have any ability to defend themselves and also people value what they say a lot less so it's easier to write off so if you can get all of those people if they protest and if they scream it doesn't matter because if you have the larger portion of society that has the more money to spend and the more control because of that thinking that the lesser subset of people doesn't matter then that gives you all the control you need because there's not enough help there to actually properly advocate for these people's rights um and like we see dehumanization happening like with our society and with all sorts of types of people it's not just homeless people you see it with like disabled people other marginalized groups like different ethnicities different um gender identities different sexualities there's categorization and like a system like i guess a hierarchy that has been placed in society where someone else has decided that certain types of groups of people deserve more or less respect simply because of who they are and it never has anything to do with quality of character um, and who they actually are as a person or any qualities that actually matter and on top of that if people hit hard times and have situations happen to them that result in them being homeless or result in them having problems they're often blamed for those things. Like, even if it's a a small problem, like being late, like you're blamed for that and it's not taken into account why that might have happened. Or when someone's struggling, um, they're blamed for that. And if you lose your house, you're blamed for that. And it's like, oh, well, if you just made better decisions, maybe that wouldn't have happened. And it ignores the entire structure that is upholding putting people in that very position and making them vulnerable like that and offering them no help in return. Um, and the same is with the horse world. Like we have an elitist horse world where you can't get 
you can't get into shows to really do much and like get in the limelight unless you have lots of money. So um, that all aside, when people are saying upper level riders are the only ones allowed to speak at, about welfare at that level, people who care about welfare and could set a better example might not be able to afford to be there. So then that automatically rules them out and it doesn't mean that they can't ride or that they don't know what they're doing. It just means they can't afford show fees to be publicly seen doing what they can. Um, and there's all of these things in place to try to prevent people from doing certain things or try to give other people inherently more rights than others. Like upper level riders, for example, can get away with a lot more. It takes a lot before people get in trouble with things like Marilyn Little having as many bloody mouths as she does and still being widely defended and accepted by like FEI and like even used in like their magazines and like posted on stuff and just treated like she's done nothing wrong amongst other equestrians as well same thing it's just upheld because like the people with the most money and influence are the ones that it seek the most advantage from it so they're all willing to turn a blind eye um and it's similar to like the misinformation that we see with like hoof care and shoeing too there's an assumption that people who have more money to spend and more ability to get to the upper levels and have fancy horses and just yeah essentially more money to throw around, that their care is inherently better because there's more money involved, despite evidence that that's not the case. Like, a lot of upper-level horses' hoof care is abysmal, and their hooves are not healthy, um, and the farrier care is not good. It doesn't matter how much the farriers are being paid or how much the horses are worth. That doesn't change how they are actually supposed to be as a species and what is healthiest for them. But you see all of this being turned and anyone that speaks out against it, if you're not part of like that club of being like rich at the upper levels and on the circuit and you're not respected in that community, it's very quickly written off and you're often like completely condescended and treated like garbage and just treated to be stupid. Like you don't know what you're talking about um, and degraded into silence. And this is works in a lot of areas of the horse world to stop people from speaking out against welfare topics as much, especially in the past, where you'd essentially be degraded and, like, bullied into silence where you're afraid to speak out. And we also see this in public, too, where there's a ton of, like, pressure in society to uphold certain structures and place value in work and, like, degrade other people who make less than you and, like, put all your value in, like, the house you have and, like, material possessions and that stuff and care about, like, all of this status and stuff that doesn't actually matter. Um, and if you don't, you're treated like a lesser human being. So there's all these little hoops that you have to jump through um, to try to be treated properly. And then if you do it and you start being treated in the way that you like or treated in a way that's better, then that can lead you to degrading other people into doing the same thing because you're projecting how you felt when people did it to you onto other people now that you finally started to get the treatment that you wanted. Um, that's probably a really piss poor way of explaining it, but I guess kind of similar attitude to when people are like, cancel all student loans, and you get those people who are like, well, I paid off all my student loans, so people should have to pay off theirs, and it's like, you are a real dick if you paid off all your student loans and you know how hard it was and you're going, everyone should else should have to pay because I did it and it was hard. And it's like, for fuck's sake, like, first of all, there's always going to be someone who has it harder than you. And secondly, just because you suffered does not mean you should want other people to suffer. Like, that is the weirdest take to have. But it's a similar mindset to that where, like, we continue to 
perpetuate practices that don't actually serve any of us and that aren't healthy and that are toxic and that make everyone frustrated and like unhappy um, and create poor quality of life and just make things harder and hurt people. Um, and we just keep doing it because it's so normalized to us and we've been so like entrenched in it and pushed in a way um, to follow these things that like it's hard to break out of it and you view it as like unfair if other people don't have to go through the same struggles as you I guess but like it's so unhealthy and like as I've gotten into more of like the behavioral aspect of like the horse world I've been kind of taking note of like the amount of like mental health issues there are in like the human world and how like if you okay like and I've said this to a couple people who are in behavior, but if you were, like, actually to, like, write down on a piece of paper, like, the basic needs of human beings, um, like, social needs, emotional needs, like, obviously, like, physical health needs, like, food, water, drink, shelter, and all that stuff for, like, good, stable welfare, the vast majority of people would not be having those needs met at all, uh, even just with, like, what's normalized for working. Like, the 40-hour work week is super normalized, and when it comes down to it, like, think about if you're working eight-hour days, how much time do you really have for yourself throughout the week? Um, other than, obviously, like, the weekends, but, like, when you're working, like, a lot of, like, a lot of people commute to work, so that could be one hour each way. So by the time you get home after like rush hour, it's like dinner time, you're doing the bare necessities of like showering, feeding yourself, and then going to bed for another work day. You don't really have time for yourself. Most of your life is dedicated to producing work for others and not actually engaging in like healthy, normal things like rest and like socializing with other human beings and relaxation. The degree of burnout and, like, the instance of mental health in the human race is not natural, and I'm pretty sure if you got, like, someone in, like, the animal welfare sector to try to break it down, like, how they would for, like, care for, like, horses or dogs, for example, to define what is acceptable care, that most people wouldn't be meeting, like, acceptable care for good welfare uh, for as humans. And I think that's super freaking sad because it's not fair. And it's also really sad to me that, like, like people don't get to be cho Like, you don't get to choose whether or not you're born. So then we have people that are just being born into, like, inherent disadvantages that are going to make their lives so hard and lend them... My computer just freaked out and turned off randomly. But yeah, anyways, people are born into inherent disadvantages that make their lives so hard and are going to set them up to be way further behind than a lot of other people who are born with inherent advantages. And it's all luck of the draw because people don't get to decide whether or not to be born. Um, and it's really unfair because then we have people who are just like deliberately being born into like traumatic cir circumstances and being offered like virtually no outside help to overcome that. And then when they can't overcome those traumatic circumstances and end up falling through the cracks and ending up on the streets or elsewhere, they're treated like it's their fault and they're offered no understanding and still no assistance, despite the fact that like from the beginning, people, these people never really stood a chance and we're, would, would have to overcome so many more obstacles even just to be, like, no, like, not even break even, but to just be in a state where they would stand a chance. The amount of work and effort and, like, the race that they have to run versus the race that, like, people who are, like, middle class or upper middle class or, like, very, very wealthy 
they're running a much different race. Like, it's like comparing, like, doing, like, the a Tough Mudder to just, like, a 80-meter sprint. Like, pe- a lot of people are born having to do the Tough Mudder and go jumping over, like, tires, rolling shit down hills. Like, climbing shit, going through mud, swimming through water, going through vines. They're having to do so many more obstacles than other people who are born with inherently more advantages that are not considering the advantages that they have. Um, and from the very beginning, they don't get a say in it. And then when you don't even get a say in like much of what goes on in like your childhood and like being born in the first place, and then you're blamed for what results in that as an adult, it's not fair. Um, and that's also why, like at the beginning I said, we need to leave room for growth. And I think for people too, because people who are growing up in difficult circumstances where they're dealing with like lots of trauma throughout their childhood, don't get the same opportunity to grow up, um, and mature and learn what it is to be an adult as someone who doesn't have to go out, go throughout their childhood without navigating all of that trauma and all those difficult things. So again, like, some people are the result of the situation that they grew up in and yes it's still your responsibility to change um and it's not other people's responsibility to like help you but i do think that we need to leave the door open for people to do that change and not judge them always for like who they are or what they believed when they were struggling with like um trauma and lack of knowledge and awareness that might have been from that or lack of ability to do things that might be viewed as normal adult things to do because of those struggles, if that makes sense. Um, and then when you also have like societies that are like policing whether or not people can get like abortions, this is even worse because again, like people do not get to choose whether or not they're born. There's no consent involved. And especially when someone gets an unwanted pregnancy and is not allowed to abort it, then there really is no consent involved because then even the the person who's carrying the baby themselves did not consent to the pregnancy. Um, and yeah, it, it just creates a very, uh, toxic and sad world to live in. And we're all like, we're routinely negatively reinforced by like way of like work in itself is negative reinforcement largely like, yes, money provides a positive reinforcement, but working an eight hour, 40 hour week just to be able to feed yourself and not really have any money for like fun for yourself. That's all about survival. Like you're being negatively reinforced by the fact that you need to be able to feed yourself and afford rent. You're not going to work because you want to, it's affecting your health. You're not particularly enjoying life. You're just existing and it's difficult and you're being negatively reinforced by the pressures of society and the knowledge that if you were to stop working, that no one's really going to help you. And that if you can't afford to keep a roof over your head, people don't think you deserve a roof over your head or food or water. Um, if you can't afford to provide it for yourself, uh, or if you're not lucky enough to have family that's willing to cover that off for you while you can't yourself. And that's largely what's keeping people going, like, and even, like, going to school and going to post-secondary and putting themselves through student loans and whatnot. It's the the negative reinforcement and the hope that it'll be better on the other side, that if you just work a little bit harder or that if you just keep pushing on that it'll get better and that you can afford to live and so on and so forth. It's the negative reinforcement of that. And then also there's punish- punishments involved, too, where... Um, 
uh, like from employers, for example, for lateness or not giving you like holiday things. They won't even get approved time off requests sometimes. Um, and then if you try to take those time off requests or if you're sick, sometimes there's punishments involved with that. Um, and then also like even with like laws, like a lot of laws are punished by fines. Fines are not scaled in terms of income. So largely speaking, fines are only punishment for poor people because someone who's pulling like 300k plus a year getting a $500 speeding ticket isn't going to impact them but if you're making 40 grand a year or less or any like even if you're making 100 grand and you're fined like $4,000 the amount that that is to you compared to someone who's a billionaire is much much different so people who have enough money can break the law repeatedly and just keep paying these fines and to them the fines might only be like a dollar or less um, comparatively to their income. But for someone who's not making very much, a fine like that could be half of their monthly rent or their entire monthly rent or half their monthly paycheck or all of their paycheck. Uh, so there's not fairness in that and the punishment is unequally weighted so that people, some people have an inherent advantage even when they're being punished and they can buy their way out of a lot of punishments. Um, even for prison sentencing, if you have enough money, like you can afford a better lawyer and you're at an inherent advantage. So money can buy your way out of punishment even, even if you've actually done something wrong. Um, and a lot of punishment is like, again, like unfair and not really addressing the actual causes of the issues. Because even with a lot of crime, like behavioral issues in the human race are an indicator of an underlying motivation or an underlying like disordered behavior from like a need not being met. Um, and if they're happening at high degrees, we should be trying to resolve those behaviors rather than just punishing and trying to like suppress them. Mm -hmm. So it's not really, it's no wonder that we aren't really seeing like, like, success from the prison systems in North America because it's all about punishment. Um, and it's also hard to trust the legal system and put faith in it when so many people are seemingly above the law and don't get proper, like proper punishment for things that they should where, whereas other people will get sentenced for way, way higher amounts, um, even for the same crimes. So it's just all skewed and completely clusterfucked. Um, and yeah, like I hope, like I know my brain does not work the same as a lot of people. So these connections I draw make sense to me, but to a lot of people it might be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's like drawing a freaking constellation in her head. What the hell? Um, but yeah, this is how I think. And I think that like this structure of the society we live in contributes to our horsemanship. Because um, like I've also noticed that like, like and this, this, this is not necessarily going to hold up as true, but this is just what I've noticed. So maybe I, I'm wrong, but I've noticed that like the animal welfare and like horsemanship in countries that have like more socialist policies and just more structure to try to help people. Um, when they're struggling and provide more basic needs for people and make life less hard. I've noticed that their animal welfare laws and if they're countries that have lots of horse stuff, their horsemanship and general treatment and care practices for horses and laws to protect horses are better. 
Um, and that could just be a coincidence, but I would not be surprised if like empathy towards animals and empathy towards other human beings is immensely correlated. Um, and if practicing like socialist policies that serve the purpose of caring about the entire population and wanting to help everyone as a whole also led to people caring more about the animals in their lives. Because, uh, I don't know, it seems to be that way. But yeah, so here's to just, yeah, recognize that, like, th this, I guess we'll finish this off with saying, like, a lot of us have made mistakes in our care and management and training of horses, and we've done things that are completely not okay, and we've taken punishment to a level that it shouldn't have, and we've taken our frustration out on horses, or we've engaged in training practices that have caused our horses fear, pain, discomfort, um, chronic stress, and so on and so forth. And if you're looking to sway away from that and change how you do things, it can be really hard to not feel super guilty about how you used to do things, especially as you learn more and realize like the degree of impact some of the things you might have done could have had on horses. It's really hard to not feel guilty, but I think it's important to recognize where you came from and all of the structures like within your life that have led you to normalizing those types of responses even outside of horses. Um, and acknowledge the role that that plays in how you've learned because especially growing up like as like a kid we cannot be expecting people to have the intelligence and um, critical thinking skills as children to overcome a lot of these really insidious underlying practices and motivations behind what we're being taught for horse care and also in school and whatnot like you can't completely overcome societal conditioning that is intended to make you think a certain way because it's serving its purpose by causing you to think that way and the purpose of that is also to have you push away any conflicting information and not listen to it um so breaking free of that and even wanting to improve is something that is really, really hard to do. So if you've done that and you're wanting to become more self-aware and you're wanting to hold yourself more accountable, you shouldn't be beating yourself up for what you did in the past because you're taking a huge step that will make your future better and will continue to make you better because you'll hold yourself more accountable more consistently, even just by making that decision. Um, and even like in current sessions, if you have a session where you lose your patience with your horse and get frustrated or the session doesn't go well and you're feeling bad and wish you could have done better, or if your horse gets really scared about something and has a blow up that you didn't expect and you're feeling really bad about it and beating yourself up because you think you should have reacted better. The fact that you think about it after and can recognize and point out what went wrong and what you could have done better is also showing improvement because in the past, for most of us who've grown up doing like traditional training practices um, and not learning enough about equine behavior, we don't really even consider, like in the past, you don't even consider what you're doing. You don't even think about it as wrong. It's kind of like second nature and just reflexive and it's just what you do. And they, there can be sessions where you're having horses who, who get lathered because they're so stressed trying to get away from you and panicking and you're just escalating the situation with what your trainer is telling you to do. Uh, and that was normal and it wasn't something you'd bat an eye at and there would might have even been like a sense of pride to ride your horse through all of that stress uh, because it was what you were consistently reinforced in being um, the good thing. And 
So if that's how it used to be, being able to reflect and look back on a session and hold yourself more accountable and have higher standards where you go, okay, I am not proud of how that went. I want to do better next time. That shows huge personal growth because you're now noticing things that you used to not even notice and that used to be second nature. Um, And that's the start of it all. And I think one thing that I wanted to address with this podcast is the fact that like, I think that with the popularity increasing with positive reinforcement and science-based training with horses, I think that it's great. But I also think that the rigidity from some people and their expectations in terms of like how quickly people switch over to positive reinforcement or how they frame like their personal growth and like the lack of honesty around like the degree of normalized punishment and stress in horse training and how people can actively participate in that while still loving horses and not fully realizing what they're doing and that a lot of us have even if we've changed our methods I think the lack of acknowledgement of where we came from and things that we used to do to horses that were unkind is not a good thing because then it paints this picture like people feel like they have to be perfect and then there's a lot of shame in past things that they would have done that they're too embarrassed to bring up because they feel like they're going to be judged for it because everyone seems like they're doing things better and like they haven't made those mistakes or like they're doing like a purely positive program and so on and so forth and I think that kind of halts people's forward growth because then they kind of will want to revert to what's comfortable and where they feel most accepted and if they don't feel accepted in the community that is encouraging better ethics because they feel like no one is like them where they've made the same mistakes then they might go back to where is most comfortable so I think it's important to talk about like the journey to changing those habits because I think that if even people who really have grown up in like a positive reinforcement environment and haven't dealt with like their roughness, I think that if you look at it from like a behavior modification perspective, you can recognize that it would be unreasonable to expect a rider who has been taught to react to things through a punishment slash high pressure lens to just be able to immediately seize all of those ingrained responses and start doing something completely different in every sense without making a mistake ever when they've been taught to do the other way for years. Even if you want to make the change and you no longer want to engage in normalized practices that your trainer has taught you, there are certain habits and reflexes that you need to break. Uh, Like for example, growing up, I was taught to smack horses for biting all the time. And For a long time, even as I wanted to learn how to do things differently and sway away from that, it would be a reflex if a horse, like, came towards me with a mouth to just move my hand right away, Um, and it wasn't something you could realize and fully acknowledge until afterwards, and so it could mean where you'd reflexively, like, smack a horse on the nose when you're trying to do it the better way, because that's what you'd been taught to do since, like, for me, four years old, Um, and then I was trying to unlearn it around, like, 16, 18, 19, 20, you're, you're trying to go against like over a decade or even if it's only a few years, you're going against the foundation of what you learned as an equestrian and trying to undo that. And so I think that we need to be more honest about how there can be mistakes in that and that your mistakes can end up impacting your horse and that you might cause them fear um, or discomfort in those moments where you make those mistakes. And that's something that should be acknowledged. But 
you can't expect perfection from yourself. And I think that the key to remember is that the worst thing about punishment is like the repeated nature of it in training. That's where you see the most behavioral issues. Um, so if you're looking to lessen the amount of punishment you use and gradually phase it out of your program and undo all of those old habits, even if you have lapses in your ability to undo all of that and you make a mistake and you resort to an old habit that isn't productive or successful and isn't what you want to do, I think it's important to acknowledge that like the less you start to use that, the better it's getting for both you and your horse. So the effort itself to undo that outweighs any weight a mistake of having a reflexive habit might bring, okay? So, because I, I think that, like, like, I don't think enough people who are promoting, like, non-escalating negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement and encouraging people to sway away from, like, harsh punishment methods or um, inherently stressful methods, I don't think enough of those people recognize that in order to get to that point, there needs to be a lot of mistakes made along the way and a lot of really bad old habits taken away along the way. It's not dissimilar to equitation where you can have really bad equitation faults that you know are bad that you know you need to work on. Like for me, my posture was really bad and I used to always look down and I knew that I needed to fix it and I could see it in photos and I knew it was a thing, but it was something that I needed to continually remind myself to fix and undo in order to have last. And the more times that I reminded myself and caught myself and fixed it, the longer I would start to last and the more repeated times of success I would have until eventually that habit is broken. And obviously like being really mean to your horse shouldn't be an ingrained habit. And this is what I'm saying about like the degree of punishment. There's certain quick corrections that are reflexive and that are so short that by the time you've done it, you can't have stopped it from happening. So there's a difference between like shanking your horse or doing something that's a quick reflex and chasing them all the way down the arena. If you find yourself doing the really lengthy, loud punishments, you need to start trying to catch yourself before it gets to that point and start to catch yourself when you feel your frustration rising and take it out of gear right then rather than feeding into it and inflating it and having the release and outlet for your frustration be your horse. But for quick reflexive things, it's more about reminding yourself after it happens if you couldn't stop it from happening and then being like, I shouldn't do that. And then you can envision next time how you would handle that. And the more times you can do that, the more lasting your results will be and the easier it'll be to sway away from choosing those habits in the first place. But I do think people can acknowledge, should, should acknowledge that there is going to be a time of unlearning and like all of the trainers that I see with positive reinforcement can recognize in animals that when you're changing how you train them, that there's going to be a period of regression or like repeated unwanted behaviors before the behavior eventually becomes extinct and goes away. Um, and I do think we need to recognize that with people too, where there's going to be a period where you're making mistakes and that you're not a bad person for doing that and that trying to undo years and years of conditioning is something that you need to put an effort in and you can't expect perfection and it's unreasonable to do so. And if anyone is expecting that from you or making you feel like you're a complete piece of shit for making a mistake, just know that they are full of shit because everyone makes mistakes and they're probably projecting onto you their um, inability to accept their mistakes for what they are and their anger towards themselves getting projected on you because it happens. 
and it, it can take a lot of time to undo it. Like I had to make a big effort to really start to change my methods because it was so much easier to defer to what was comfortable. Um, and especially when your trainers condition, continuously condition a very convenient outlet for your frustration being yelling or getting mad at your horse and blaming them for everything. Um, undoing that emotional response takes practice because you actually have to change the emotional response as well as the behavior behind it. So it's no easy feat and mistakes are okay, but also hold yourself accountable because like if you get frustrated at your horse and you're being mean to them, like acknowledge that for what it is and acknowledge and sit with how it probably made them feel. And then you're going to need to double down to undo that. Um, and try to do better but hold yourself accountable while realizing that like personal growth isn't a smooth road there's going to be bumps in the road because undoing habits is hard and you can't don't expect perfection from your horse but you also cannot expect perfection from yourself it's not a fair standard to hold yourself to especially when you're trying to undo ingrained habits and completely relearn a new way of doing things there's going to be bumps in the road because it's a lot of stuff to learn like even just the whole learning theory, equine behavior thing, and just learning about all of the misconceptions that we're taught about horse behavior, that takes time too. And until you undo a lot of that conditioning and relearn the correct information, it's also hard to fully understand how certain aspects of training may impact your horse or how certain situations could have been handled better because you do not yet have access to the information that will help you think in that way to give you that information and be able to assess the situation as the full picture. Uh, it takes time to learn. So putting the work in is all you can do, but don't expect perfection and like understand that like even if people don't openly say it, that like when they were going through the changes in their horsemanship, that they were making mistakes and going through a lot of the same struggles and conflicting feelings and emotions that you find yourself going through because it's not an easy thing to do. It's a complete shift of how you've thought you, you've been taught to think about horses and handling them and it's just kind of like ripping the rug out from under your feet and completely changing horses as you know them so it is a big undertaking and it is really really hard to do so it's it's work I'm not gonna lie like undoing um bad horsemanship practices or biases that you were taught and trying to like better your horsemanship and reform how you do things for the better when you've been taught how to do things wrong. It takes work. You have to consistently think about it. You have to put an effort in to learn and you have to be uncomfortable. You'll have to learn information that makes you uncomfortable and you'll have to sit with that discomfort and also like make the effort to kind of learn and think about things and hear other people out in the community that have credibility and form your own opinion on things, but you'll have to be uncomfortable. And it's also important to learn to critically think and value certain opinions with more weight than others based on the level of expertise behind said opinions or based on the level of research behind them. But yeah, it, it takes, it'll, it'll take work. It, and it's not necessarily going to be the quickest journey, but it'll be worth it in the end. And you'll notice improvements the whole way along. And I think that's what is the key to hang on to is the fact that you're improving um, and that your horse is improving. And just really think about that and prioritize that over fixating on mistakes. But also don't be so flippant about mistakes that you're not holding yourself accountable because that's that's the key. And... 
Yeah, so I think that's about it for today. But yeah, basically there's a whole lot of crossover with like how we're taught how to treat horses and how we're taught how to treat other human beings and also how we're taught how to value things. Like our whole value system that we see in the horse world is very consistent with the value system we're taught to care about in the regular like everyday world with like with regards to money and whatnot. Um, So it's a very easy mindset to slip into, especially when you're first taught that as your initial intro to horses, because you're never taught how to think a different way. But we're just conditioned to think that way in general. And it results in us just like making it quite easy to just have very little empathy for um, creatures or people that don't have as loud of a voice as others or don't have as much power as others. It's easy to yell over top of the voiceless and to shrug off their needs because they're not as loud in their advocating of them and you don't see them as much and they're not typically as valued or their their needs aren't as blown up in society or as learned about um, and their struggles are shrugged off or completely rewritten and we see that type of attitude being done to horses in terms of like their stress behaviors and um, certain welfare issues that we're seeing in studies, like the degree of their stress will be shrugged off as just nothing. Uh, if the person deciding that can't properly read the stress, they'll decide for the horse whether or not the horse is stressed. Similarly, you see that with people's judgment of others. Like for people that are really bigoted and ignorant about homelessness or mental health issues like addiction, they'll seek to blame the person who is struggling and they'll blame all of their struggles on them and they have no capacity to have the empathy to look at the bigger picture and think about what might have led someone to being in that position and what potential underlying like emotion is behind their choice to do engage in certain behaviors or do certain things or what led to their situation they have no capacity to really consider that because they're not thinking about it from an empathetic standpoint they're only thinking about how it inconveniences them and how they don't like it so then they seek to lay blame um And with horses, we do that when a horse engages in an unwanted behavior by going, wow, what a bad horse. I'm mad at this horse. I'm going to punish this horse. Or when they do a behavior that is related to stress, shrugging it off and being like, oh, it's just a quirk because you're protecting yourself in that instance. You don't want to come to terms with the fact that your horse is engaging in a behavior because they're stressed or that their unwanted behavior is a result of stress or pain. It's easier to write it off as the horse just being a dick or them just having a quirk. Uh, same thing we see with like people degrading and like dehumanizing all sorts of types of people. It's easier to just go, oh, this is this person's fault that they're homeless than it is to go, wow, like my government and society does not care about these people and they would throw me out on the street just like this if I stopped being profitable and wouldn't care about me. Or, wow, this person must have might have had a lot of trauma that led them to being here and had no tools to help them navigate that and absolutely no assistance and they were just left completely on their own whether or not they were a child or had any type of struggle that needed help, they were basically just left to whatever luck they were given at the time of their birth and throughout their life. And yeah, they don't have the capacity to think about what could have landed these people in those positions or how they're kept in that position by society. 
and it's easier to kind of not take that in because it's a lot harder emotionally to actually realize like the degree of suffering that is going on in the world and also sit with the fact that like if you no longer could afford to keep a roof over your head that largely like no one's going to be there to save you and I honestly am of the mind that I think that there is a governmental motivation um in areas like mine and like in the U.S. where there's like high instances of homelessness compared to other countries, I think there's a motivation on the part of the government to actually leave people out on the streets almost like a threat as like, oh, keep going to your job. Don't rock the boat too hard. Don't pro- protest too hard because at least you're not like this. This could be you. Like, don't don't stop going to work. You got to keep being profitable. Your job is what makes you valuable and important. And it gives people like an, an entity to direct their anger and their blame and resentment at or to go oh at least I'm not there um and it also creates fear and kind of creates that negative reinforcement for someone to keep working when they're burning out and can't anymore because they realize what the alternative is and I think that that's kind of one of I think that there's a motivate motivating factor for that because otherwise I don't like, we, we have the space to house all of the people in my area, and I'm pretty sure the same stats apply for the U.S., where there's enough housing across the country that more than provides for homeless people, and the resources are there, and, like, the money in the government is there. It just needs to be reallocated from other things that they're viewing as more important, and all of the ability to help these people is there. It's just simply not being done, and they're just falling through the cracks. And a lot of these issues that we're seeing in society with like mental health and stuff, like the solutions are there, but they're not as profitable for the people who have the most to profit off of us, or they think it's not as profitable. I personally think that if we were to give this whole socialism thing a whirl and give people more fair hours and actually care for their well-being more, that it would actually end up being more profitable in the long run because they'd be happier and things would be getting done at a much quicker rate without as many issues and without as much illness and so on and so forth. So I'm personally of the mind that I don't actually think that that it's less profitable to take care of people. Um, I just think that the government and corporations that have the most to spend don't want to allocate their funds in that way and they want to continue doing it selfishly um, because they're profiting immensely as is. Um, But I do think all of the means to help people is there. So yeah, that's one of my biggest frustrations with the world too because like I would like to help people way more and I have a lot of guilt about not being able to help people more than I can and it really, really upsets me to see people with like abundantly more money than I have just not do anything and like do even less than what I try to do when I don't have very much money to give and they just do even less and I'm like hello like I I can't I don't I don't understand it um Anyways, I'm going to leave you with this. I went for pizza last night and I went to this little pizza place um, in White Rock called Maestro Pizza, um, M-A-S-T-R-O, and they had these two big lovely signs that said, like, "If if you're hungry and can't afford to eat, please let us know and we'll make you a meat or veggie pizza and give you a pop. 
and I thought it was so nice because this is this little family-owned business and they made these signs big and they put two of them. So they put them so that you could see them from outside the building and they put them in two different locations so that they'd be seen by people who might not come in because they don't have money. And it's a small family-owned business that's doing this. And in theory, a lot of people would justify not doing this being like, oh, well, people will lie. And like, they'll lie when they actually do have the money. And it's like, okay, yeah, maybe some people would, but a lot of people wouldn't. Um, and that aside, then you're more worried about like the minority of people lying than you are about like a lot of people who are starving. That, But anyways, a lot of big corporations don't do stuff like that or they'll try, they'll pretend that they do similar things, but comparatively they're giving much, much less. And like, can you think about how big of a difference that would be, that would make if a place like McDonald's did something like that or like literally any chain restaurant place if they did more of that where they had signs and stuff or just like grocery stores giving food food away but they don't because they don't want to feed the people they want to provide people with more and more incentive to just keep working themselves to the bone and they worry that if they were to provide people's basic needs that they wouldn't have as much power and control. So instead, people choose to, like, throw food out or they choose to only, yeah, only sell food. And if it's not profitable, then it's worth more being in the garbage than it is in the mouth of someone who's starving. Um, yeah, and it's it's sad. So I would like to see change, but I also think that people need to kind of start, like, yeah, looking at the dysfunctional nature of our society and, like, how we've been taught to be as humans and, like, how a lot of us grew up and were taught in school. Like, a lot of the stuff that we were taught and, like, a lot of the things that we're conditioned to do in society and the ways that we're treated, if you get into, like, learning theory and, like, the psychology of behavior, you start to kind of go, like, okay, yeah, like, this this all really adds up with how many mental health issues there are and the amount of suffering there is in the human race. This really adds up. I totally see why this is a huge problem. And then it kind of becomes apparent at what kind of has contributed to a lot of things. And even with, like, things that you've learned and biases that you've had, the more you kind of learn about, like, thinking and, like, how the world works and just the more information you have, the easier it is to kind of understand. Or at least that's what I find for myself. Like, starting to learn how certain things are, like, conditioned societally or, like, how... Like, for example, learning about how ADHD works and learning why I have certain struggles and the reason that they're happening and, like, what, like, initially started something or what contributes to something and learning all the factors and kind of being able to develop the full scope of, like, okay, like, these things have made it more difficult for me to do this, that, or the other thing. It's not to just be like, oh, well, like, this this justifies why I'm not doing things to better myself. No, I'm, I don't use it for that purpose. It's to go, like, okay, like when you're having a hard time, you can go, okay, like, there's things that are inherently in place that make things harder for me. Or people aren't suffering and they're more reactionary or upset because of what's going on in the world. Or a lot of the mental health struggles and burnout people are, are having are, like, it's normal. It's a direct result of the unnatural environment and the stressors that we're forced to live under. And it's kind of comforting because then you go, okay, like, it's not, like, I'm not abnormal. It's not just me. Um, it's a result of the environment that we're kind of forced to be put in. And I don't know, more people need to talk about these types of things because it, it, it all kind of works together. Like we can't, 
when we're not even taught to like empathize with other humans, it's very hard for people to learn how to empathize with animals. Um, and like when horse people are living in such like, I think the horse world is especially unique, um, because of like the normalized harshness towards horses and the punishing nature of that. And also like the normalized punishing nature of how people are coached in the horse world. But on top of that, it's also a very, very rich industry that has a way higher um, percentage of extremely wealthy people. So I think that also skews it too. And it can be really hard to exist in an environment like this um, and start becoming aware of all of that. And honestly, like creating this awareness and noticing these things really helped me a lot because when I was younger so much of my value was placed in like the how expensive the clothes I had were like what brands they were whether or not my saddle was nice whether or not my outfit matched with my horse how nice horses were trying to jump higher and it was all these things that were entirely rooted in like money and status um and what other horse people valued in the horse world and just parameters that are set by people who are in the competitive world and have the money to compete on the rated show circuit repeatedly and just put thousands of dollars into their riding careers and the standards I'd set for myself had been ones that were actually set by people who were in a completely different type of life than me and I was trying to meet their standards and I was also trying to like be approved by their judgment and meet like and and be liked by them when their standards were set unrealistically and with no regard for how like normal people live or how the world actually works and I was trying to jump through all these hoops and letting it impact my self-esteem when I couldn't and then when I started to realize all this and kind of realize like yeah there is stuff that's in place to kind of make this more difficult for me or they're like yeah this is really unfair judgment I realized like the problem wasn't me it was like the the industry around me and the society around me and like this is also something that I learned after like getting my ADHD diagnosis I wish I'd got it earlier because like throughout elementary school the way my teachers made me feel and um how hard it was and how anxious I was and how much social anxiety I had if I had just known that it wasn't just me and I wasn't a freak and that there was like other people going through the same thing it would have been a lot less lonely and I would have been able to talk about it more and there would have been a whole lot less shame involved so I think that people just need to kind of talk about that stuff more and we just need to be more open about it because I think a lot of people are hiding in shame for doing certain things or for like having certain struggles or issues and they're not alone in it and also their shame could be the result of expectations that they didn't even set themselves and that have nothing to do with good horsemanship or being a good person and so on and so forth so I think it's important to talk about that I know we covered a lot of topics here but yeah that's my frustration with the world um so if you're listening to this and yeah you have struggles just know you're not alone and that yeah I, I hope to see change I'm hoping the younger generation will bring some big changes that will help a lot of people because it's just devastating to see like how many people fall through the cracks in the world and how little help there is and how you like how hard it is to help people who are struggling even like when you're actively trying your best to help them there's very little resources and if there's not money involved to kind of throw at situations to help people it's very hard to get help for yourself or others, especially if they're in circumstances where their mental health or physical health is such that they cannot care for themselves and they can no longer be profitable. Like being able to help people in that situation with so little resources is something that, or trying to be able to help people, it feels very helpless because like our society is set up in a way where they don't want to put like any money into making 
it possible for people who aren't profitable or cannot support themselves or all of their families for them to live. Like, I don't know. We'll, we'll go into that all another day, but like, it's, it, it's even stuff like people are like, oh, well, you can just go on welfare. And it's like, have you ever looked at how much they actually give you? It's literally not even enough to afford rent anywhere here where I live, let alone food. So like, good luck paying for your life if you can't even afford the entirety of your rent. Anyways, thank you all for listening. Don't forget to check out my, um, don't forget to check out my uh, store with, like, the new base layer releases. Like I said, it's buy two, get one 30%, or buy three, get one 50% off. Um, the 30% code will be applied automatically at checkout. For the 50% off, you just need to put in the code BOGO, BOGO, at checkout. Please check that out. I really want to move as many products as I can, share it with your friends. Also, don't forget to enter the giveaway that I have on my Shop Milestone Equestrian Instagram. Uh, it's a pretty big giveaway. You can win a bridle and base layer and saddle pad. So pretty fun. You should check it out, please. And enter, share with your friends. Um, I also have, yeah, like I said, the rose gold bridles are here. Um, and then like restocking of the bitted um, Harlow bridle and the bitless Milo bridles. So those are all in stock now and available for order. And then the Western tooled Western bridles will be coming in soon as well. And the pre-orders will go out first and then those will be available for order. So stay tuned with that. Um, but I really appreciate it. And like, yeah, thank you for supporting my small business. I want to continue to grow the size range and the products that I offer because I've had people requesting a lot of different products and things that they would like to see. Um, and I hope to do that, but I need to establish the business first. So in order to do that, like, selling stuff is important. So, um, I hope to expand my brand. Anyone who buys any one product or even shares my posts or shares anything about the business is helping me to do that. Um, the more products I sell and the sooner I can sell them, the more means there is for expansion and more ability to try to, um, um, yeah, continue expanding and get in the products people want and also, uh, ship things in quicker and get faster restockings. It's all about just kind of moving products so that I have the capital because we're operating on a small business budget. I don't have like tens of millions of dollars sitting in the bank, just waiting to be put into products. Um, so it's all coming out of pocket and it's difficult to do as a wee small business woman, especially when your horse needs lots of vet bills the last couple of months. So it's been hard, but yeah, check those out. Uh, shop small, support my small business. There's some really nice short sleeve summer riding shirts that are lovely. Highly recommend. They're really good for hot weather. My Lisa laser cut short sleeve is my favorite one. I wore it in the 40 degree weather. It's awesome. They'd also make really good golf shirts. Honestly, if you go golfing or do anything like that, 10 out of 10, all of the riding shirts would work perfectly for that. They're just athletic shirts in general. Even if you like going running, honestly, and you just want like a cuter running shirt, they're athletic material. Perfect. Um, yeah, so check all that out. It's on the amoreequestrian.ca website, A-M-O-R-E, equestrian.ca on the milestone page. That'll be linked down below in the description of the podcast. You can also subscribe to my Patreon to help support the podcast um, and my other pages. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. It's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash S-D-E-Q-U-U-S, Patreon.com slash S-D-Equus. 
and there's all sorts of different types of training tiers for people who are interested in getting training help. I am also opening clinics because I'm not going to be training out of my property or doing boarding train anymore because my the property here is going to get listed for sale. Um, so if you're in the area locally in BC or if you're further away but you have enough interest that people would be able to cover the clinic fees along with travel fees, I'm definitely open to traveling. So definitely shoot me an email if that's something you're interested in and we can kind of price it out like I would say for anyone that is further away um, than like BC that in order to like fill the travel fees you'd probably want to have like at least 10 people interested with horses and then a bunch of auditing spots because flights are expensive and I really try not to bill people up the ass um, so it would just have to cover all of that but I'm definitely open to doing that and it would be fun and it would give me an excuse to go places um, so yeah, you can check that out and you can email me at shelby at milestoneequestrian.ca and also there's more info on the clinics and stuff. Um, I posted it on my Facebook page, Milestone Equestrian. So you can check that out there and yeah, I appreciate it all as always and thank you for listening and I hope people found this podcast interesting and I hope that it just, yeah, makes people more considerate because I think that also like I, I used to be less considerate and, and empathetic of people. I always was really empathetic, but I was a lot more judgmental and I didn't consider like how much other people could have going on and how it could also impact their behavior. Um, and yeah, it, and I also didn't understand a lot of mental health and mental illness stuff as well. So now that I do, it's become even more so that I have a lot of empathy and I do really hope to see change in the world because there's just so many disappointing things that we're seeing in the news that are just so devastating and so many people that are being like unfairly discriminated against and judged and yeah it's just it's sad um so yeah if you if you ever have the means to help someone even a little bit like honestly even just like giving someone a toonie that they can go use however they please or like even smiling at people and treating them like people whether like they're on the streets or not like acknowledging them and not treating them like they don't exist in society like just be nice to people treat them like human beings everyone deserves basic human rights and basic nice treatment and a basic needs like a roof over your head food water shelter you know like ev everyone everyone deserves that so just try to be considerate um, and yeah, anyways, thank you for listening and let me know if you check out any of my stuff, share this stuff. I really appreciate it again. Thanks guys. Have a great day.